but we actually met, I think over a year ago. And I don't even know if you remember this because I think that that weekend was like a whirlwind of a trip, but we met as I've met most people who have been on the show at this event called Kindred. Um, And you came on and you came on stage and you stole the entire show because you taught all of us poetry and spoken word. And I clearly remember you, you, your performance. And then afterwards you had all of us write down and you kind of did it step by step and made it super stupid proof for me, which was epic um, because I need that all the time. Um, And I wish that could be like a thing in life, like everything is stupid proof, but I try. Anyways. I mean, you know, like it's, I mean, I'm saying by the way, like, I need the simplest, like I need it. It's a lot for me to digest. So the simpler, the better. So like when I'm doing it for y'all or other people, I'm really doing it for myself because I need it just as much. Right. But it was so easy. And, and not that it was easy to say like the performance and the writing aspect, but it was easy to get your feelings and your emotions off your chest in words, in a very, simple way where I think that a lot of people I know for myself included I have a very hard time just journaling in general I think that yeah I think that sometimes I'm like I'm on the roll and I'm like okay this is amazing like I'm gonna get this done and every you know evening I'll like write something down and then there'll be times where it's like one day it stops and I can't get myself to sit down and truly releasing um your your thoughts is such a therapeutic it's just pure therapy as far as i'm concerned and so when you did it and you made it so easy and you made it feel like we all had a voice it was it was really it was really just great so i want to thank you for that and no like i i mean i think that the the, the thanks is, is is owed to you and, and everyone who's part of the community i think part of the work um for me um, I, I get joy from that, uh, from 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 a creating space for a community and allowing for folks to be able to sift through trauma, emotions, feelings, all the things. Like I, I, I think I used to take for granted the, the the gift and the craft of writing. You know, I've been writing for for a very long time. Like from the moment that I knew how to put a pen to paper and taught how to put sentences together in a classroom, like kindergarten, I've been trying to write. Like I've been trying to write stories, songs, poems. And so for me, the, the work has been really, um, really encouraging others to be able to do the same because writing saved my life, mm-hmm. you know? And so when I, when I hear you say something like that, it means so much to me because a lot of the work for me has been trying to ensure that everyone feels like they can do this work, you know? like writing writing down thoughts it doesn't have to be a complicated process and i think sometimes we focus so much on the mountaintop or even just the idea of the craft of writing like it's so big and like especially if you're a person who's like a voracious reader who loves literature who loves language you might be looking at individuals who who do write who have a extended history of writing in their catalog and being like i can't do that and it's like you don't have to no one's asking you to try to treat writing like your next career or even a hobby you know, really for me, writing, it can be the emphasis for like creativity. Like if you're working on a project, if you're stuck on a project, if you're stuck in a space um, of not knowing whether it be a relationship, whether it be a, a, a business partnership, 
whether it be about classroom work that you're doing at school, writing things out can just really what it does. And what it does for me is it relieves the pressure from my brain. You know, I'm completely. No, yeah. it completely does. It, it's it's like a form of meditation almost. Yeah, exa exactly. And so for me, the, the the work is really about bringing that, bringing folks to that space of awareness, like that that kindred that kindred cross was the first time I've been in a room of strangers and was asked mm -hmm. and allowed to facilitate that level of conversation before. You know, I've I'd done it with friends, but it was one thing to like have to feel like I was building out something and really that was a case study for me wow um, yeah yeah so like yeah y'all my you know i, I don't want to y'all were my test subjects we were the guinea pigs we were my lab rats um <laughs> all itself. and it was like it, the beauty in that room and the story shared in that room to me was so impactful and so powerful you know no it truly was how did you get involved with kindred how did that happen i mean shout shout out to kirsten Nemo. And, and shout out to, to, to Ian, Ian Schaefer. Um, yeah. Two, two, two individuals who are uh, former colleagues of mine uh, back in my early days of, of working in marketing. But Kirsten really played a really big role um, because she reached out to me, letting me know that they were looking to, uh, they were looking for like spoken word artists type persons. And she's like, oh, I know somebody. And so we got, we hopped on the phone and it was relatively simple. It was like, I already, I already had a piece that I had performed before um, that I had written that, that I felt like was gonna fit thematically for, um, for the work. She had known about my, my, my mental health story, both my struggles and, and, and my, my bouts with um, suicide ideations. I'd written a, a, a very lengthy essay about it on medium.com. Um, and so it, it, it felt like the, the perfect bridge of the work that I was doing alongside being able to share my story. And so for me, it was an opportunity again to build community. I think the I thrive most when I get the chance to do that. You know, like us even even us sitting together. Like I mm -hmm. I, I appreciate you reaching out to me about this because I I do love what you're doing. And so for me, it 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 came down to another way to extend community and and share my art and and hopefully potentially allow others to do the same and allow others to like hear each other's stories and then learn something, glean something from it, which is why even when I led the workshop, it's not about, in any workshops that I've been leading henceforth, it's not about critiquing the work. You know, you can go any place for critiquing the work. I'm not really concerned about that. It's more about how do we uplift the work? How do we mm -hmm. break the work? How do we point out the good in the work so that folks can pull from that on um, whatever they need to, even if they don't want to be writers, just being able to carry that energy throughout the day or into whatever their next, thing or whatever their practice is going to be, you know? But well, it was kind of like paint by numbers, right? Like the way yeah. that it's let out, you yeah, know, yeah. because you're like, here's the blank canvas. Here's a few numbers. You just have to do this little thing and it's going to yeah. help so much, but it's, but it's so true. I would love to get into your essay because I think that, I, I guess my question is, is that how you first started getting involved in mental health and, and speaking about suicide awareness? Is that, was that the first kind of jumpstart? Absolutely. And, you know, interestingly enough, I had been working with, um, like prior to me, cause like, you know, my, my day job, I, I, I work in PR and marketing, um, as a senior copywriter and prior to that, I'd been working in the nonprofit social services sector for upwards of nine years. I had, oh, wow. I worked, I worked, um, I worked um, in the HIV case management, HIV AIDS case management field for about two years. 
And then following that, um, I spent seven years working with the forensic population, specifically individuals who had been released from Rikers Island who suffered from mental health disorders. Like my job was to wow. play programs um, and really the title was, is, 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 was discharge planner. And so as soon as they came home, I was, I was essentially the first point of contact to uh, connect them to the services that they would need coming home from jail. Um, and and so like you would go through what their mental condition would be and, and what would help them out and what, what, where maybe even to place them with work or. Exactly. Job placement, housing, um, health benefits, including mental health, ensuring that they were getting into psychotropics, um, conversations with, with, with their primary care doctors, as far as like what, what was going to be needed, things of that sort. Um, I mean, and, that must've been so intense. It, you know, it, like it, in a good way, but that's it, a lot of, that's a lot of heavy shit, you know? Yeah. yeah I, I think, you know, I, I, I'll say that I think my practice as an artist and I think as an empath, um, as a generous empath. And I say that because I think it, it, it allowed space for me to be a part, to, to, to share in these stories and really even I'll take it a step further and more about a compassionate empath so that I could understand empathize, but also put that to action without attaching myself to their story. You know, I think a lot mm -hmm. of the times, unfortunately, those who, who feel deeply who are empaths wind up throwing themselves into somebody else's story to the point that they get lost in it. And so I think I, very early on, I was able to really uh, hone in on the balancing act of showing up for people while not letting that showing up affect how A, I did my job and also I didn't take work home with me, um, mm -hmm. for, uh, which is very important. I think a lot of people don't know how to separate the two. Yeah. And yeah. if you take that home, you need that moment to decompress and just let it go because it can just just be such a heavy burden on you. Yes, absolutely. And I think so. Part of the, I think the reason I was able to like deal with the heaviness is because of my creative practice where like my mm -hmm. work, my nine to five physical work has never been my everything ever. Like it's been the, the means to like to support. It puts the food on the table. Exactly. It takes care of what it needs to take care of while yeah. I focus on the, the work of building community, of showing up in my art and performing arts practice. And so for me, it that bringing all that into the fold allowed me to then really sit down with the things that I had been struggling with over the years. And a lot of that came to head with my co-parenting relationship at the time. Um, and, and our struggles and how I wasn't dealing with things and how we were kind of just going at each other's necks in ways that was very unhealthy and toxic for the both of us. Um, mm -hmm. That led to, to really my, um, my, my second bout with very strong suicidal ideations where I just, I felt like I wanted to end it. I'm calling the suicide um, um, hotline and I wrote about it because I just felt like I, I needed to tell the story. I, when I'm writing, I write because I feel like there's a need. Like spirit generally will call me like there's an energy that's pulling me to say something. Yeah. Um, and then that saying something opened the door for I think a lot of other folks, especially myself as a cis hetero black man who identifies as such, um, not really seeing many stories about that. Like I was talking about my bouts with, my, my bouts with, with depression, my bouts with um, not feeling enough, um, talking about my own childhood sexual trauma, like things that are, are I think becoming less so, but but were very much taboo in the black community, especially if you're a black man at the time. And we're talking about me writing that article around 2016 or so. Wow. So 
that to your point, yes, that was kind of the impetus for me to really start diving in more. Um, and then from there, I had uh, I sat down with Business Insider because they had read the article. Because um, there was an article I had written subsequently after that uh, about me actually calling the suicide hotline um, and 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 me detailing um, moment by moment what that process was like for me. Um, and that I think me the more I spoke about it, the more I started to realize I wanted to to be an advocate in the space. And again, recognizing my privilege. You know, yes, I'm I'm a black man, but I'm still a man, and so mm-hmm. wanting to use my platform and my privilege in a way to to open up the conversation for others. You know, I think that it's also I, I hate using the word brave because I feel like like oh and you're oh you're so brave, you know. But I think that the, you know what I mean. Like sometimes that word is like oh Jesus, like calm down, <laughs> calm down. like. You are not brave, like calm down. But I think in this case, this is something of bravery and and of um, it gives me chills, I think, because I understand I'm very in tuned with energy and I believe in all this juju, you know, all this juju stuff like that's very much me. I I am that person. Um, And I do feel that that when you are at your lowest point, and you want to give up, there's some, there's, for me, I'll use the example. And I, it sounds as though it's like you, there's this energy that's pulling you. That's like, Mm-mm-mm. don't give up because it's this one thing that you're about to do that you don't know is going to happen that can cause such a ripple effect in a positive way on someone else's life. So yeah. I think that what's brave in quote out quote for you, I think beyond sharing your story of, feeling the depression, feeling the sadness, feeling the, the, the point where you're like, nah, this is it. Can't yeah. do it anymore because I've been there. So I understand. Um, it's, it's you detailing the specifics of calling the hotline. Yeah. That's what I take from this whole story because that's something you don't hear a lot, right? Like I work with a lot of organizations, you know, where they're like, here's the hotline for, for suicide prevention. Here's this, here's this great, but I've never actually heard someone call. Right. So I don't, if I'm an outsider, right. And I'm feeling this feeling, what am I going to call? And they're going to know my name. Are they going to judge me? Uh Are they going to be like, Oh, we're so sorry that you're going through this. But, um, you know, it's, it's, I think the specifics, right. Are, what's so important and what needs to be talked about. I've yeah. never been in this situation um, where I had to actually call. Um, mine's different, but, but I, I, I never, I, I'm so fearful to get on the phone call to call AT&T and talk to a live person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I get so awkward. Yeah. I can do a zoom call, yeah. but the phone call, uh-uh, like, and I read like it's, there's certain things like phone calls, especially when it's like having to debate or argue about a thing. I'm like, I'll just pay the $800,000 that you say, I always know I know I don't. I'll just rather do that. I get so, when my mom used to make me call people and thank them for sending me birthday stuff when I was like five, that was trauma. Hated, hated, hated. I hated it. But you know, it just goes to show like no matter what your age is, it's still that awkward, um, the unknown. And I think by you writing the essay and talking about the specifics, you kind of made the unknown stigma free. And, and, you know, and and first of all, thank you for saying that. 
beautiful human being. I, um, I mean, and, and to be fair, part of another reason why I wrote it was because it started with me because I was on the bus. And so hmm. I was feeling like I was having a panic attack. And that's where it started. And so being on the bus in New York City on a crowded bus, and like, so I'm thinking about the embarrassment. I'm thinking about, like, I'm feeling hot. Like, I'm, my skin feels like it's on fire. I'm like, okay, well, I know there's a text line. You can, like, text. Mm-hmm. And the reason I wrote it, I wrote the essay, was because the text hotline sucked like shit. I don't know if it still sucks now. What I was encountering was, like, I knew I was talking to a bot immediately. Like, mm-hmm. I knew it was a person who was texting me back because it was automated. And so in the time that I had to wait for the messages to come back to me, I'm like, I'm panicking. This is not helping me at all. Like I had to get off. I got off the bus early because I was like, I just need to call somebody now, like quickly. Yeah. And so in that time of, and I don't know how long that was. It could have been five minutes or could have been three, but it felt. And that's too- the thing with a panic attack, right? I mean, time does not exist. So, yeah. you know, and so at that point, I'm just like, listen. So after, after all of this, like when I sat down, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like this, this, like New Yorker created a free line of, of service for people who need to reach out if they're feeling like they, they need assistance. For me to have to go through that, I, what I didn't want was for somebody else to have to go through that as well. Hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, that, that was, that was hard for me, but I, you know, I, I just wanted to create space you know like that mm-hmm. that's a very big part of my purpose is creating space for folks yeah i i think that that's so important okay you know how important peewee and Dottie are in my life so i absolutely had to share with you what i do to keep them feeling their best so they can be the best emotional support animals for me Pee-wee is my right-hand man. He is a world traveler. He's been on planes and trains and automobiles. And, well, he's kind of always been the best in the entire world. But I noticed in the past year, he's he's kind of lost that spunk. When Pee-wee started to become lethargic and tired and very lazy, and I noticed this drastic difference. I knew that it must have something to do with the food he was eating and his diet. He wasn't like a puppy anymore. He was a little lazy and not just because he's a lazy boy, but he didn't feel like himself. So I thought, well, what should I try? And you know, my standards are so high for my pup. So I wasn't going to just go out and try the next thing I found at the store. I wanted to make sure that I was giving him real quality ingredients. So we found Jinx and we gave it a try. And now that Pee Wee is on Jinx, well, we haven't looked back. Pee-wee is obsessed with his kibble and treats, and I love what I'm seeing in him. Not only is his energy back, but he looks fabulous because his coat is a whole lot shinier. Between the care and quality ingredients that are in Jinx to the easy-to-access online ordering on their website at thinkjinx.com, it is so easy to give my pups the food they deserve to live their best life. And you can do. They even offer subscriptions tailored to your needs so you don't have to worry about running out. And their reviews, well, they speak for themselves. And they just started selling on Petco.com because the food is that good, making it easier than ever to get it whenever, wherever you want. As you know, I would never endorse a product that we don't actually use and love. So I worked closely with the team at Jinx on a special offer just for you. 
$15 off any order of $50 or more at thinkjinx.com when you use the code EMOSUPPORT15 during checkout. I'll drop the website and promo code in the show details so you can find it after the episode ends. You're welcome. And I think another thing, you are an author, which is fantastic. And I wrote down the name of the book so I didn't mess it up. A, a book about things I will tell my daughter. Yeah. yeah. Wow. First of all, <laughs> the name's already got me going. Cute daughter, <laughs> sign me up. This must be like a lot of pressure on you to be able to learn about mental health in a way that you can teach it to a child. And I think that books like this are so important right now because children are at this, we're in a weird place in our, in our world where you have the generation like one below us and one below even that, which I, I'm not sure how old your daughter is, but I don't think she's even in that category yeah. yet. I, I'm talking like 10, you know, yeah. and they're so aware of sexuality yeah. and it's, it's so nuts. I actually have a neighbor um, that has a 12 year old. No, she's 11 girl. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about being bisexual and all this stuff. And I'm like, what? And <laughs> I, the reason why I say this is because I was like, I didn't even think about kissing anyone till I was like 14. So yeah. it's so mind boggling that we are in a place in our world right now where children are so yeah. vocal and they're so outspoken and they are truly who they are and they give no fucks about it. It's very exciting that, that kids are absorbing all this wonderful information, yeah. but it's also scary because it's like, oh, are they just, you know, talking back for things that they hear, right? Yeah. In regards to mental health, not truly learning because they don't have the parents or they don't have the grandparents parents and they don't have someone really keeping it as a step-by-step -step program of how yeah. to, how to deal with it. Cause it's an unknown, right? Like un yeah. it's completely unknown. For sure. And, and, you know, I think part of what I've, um, and, and I talk about this often, you know, wanting to ensure, like, you know, I have two girls, I have, I have two little black girls who are, Oh my gosh, how sweet. <laughs> who are growing up in a world in an America that will attempt to tell them that their um, their bodies, their minds are not worthy, are not of value. Um, and so for me, what it's been really important to teach, especially um, Lila, Lila, who's on the cover of that book, um, who's now, um, she's gonna be five in, in November. Oh, um, she was, yeah, Lila was what, two maybe? Yeah, she was two when we took that picture. Um, oh. She, you know, it's important for me to teach her autonomy, you know, like autonomy over her body, autonomy over the uh, decisions that she makes, that she that she chooses to make. And so for me, the book, the book came from a place of, I mean, it came from a place of love and, and intention. But I mean, if I'm being honest, a, a part of it was also me wanting to leave something behind for her in case I didn't make it for whatever reason. You know, there was a lot going on in the world, like when we, like between Ferguson and Black Lives Matter and between a lot of things that were essentially putting black bodies at risk. Um, what I wanted was something to live longer than I, I ever would. And, and so mm -hmm. that was the reason really. It was like if, and the book was broken out into sections of like pre-Lila, like this is who your father was and what your father was, 
struggling with dealing with um, in poem and essay form prior to her birth. Um, and then a kind of section of dealing with her, her eminent arrival and then the section that's really dealing with her being here. Um, and so a mix of essays and poems speaking to that. And I, I just, it, it's, it is, it's like, it's me having a conversation with her, mm-hmm. um, trying to have a conversation with her and just giving her anecdotes and pieces of, of, of information or knowledge that I could pass around, pass to pass on to her, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that was really important for me. And that continues to be important for me now. Like we talk about a lot of things and a majority of them she doesn't understand. But for me, it's always a reminder for her to, I want her to, to feel free in her feelings. And part of that for me was creating a book that I think what I was hoping for would serve as a template for her to feel like she could do that and know that she was loved regardless of mm-hmm. whatever happened. You know, I mean, it's, it's so beautiful that you did that. And it's also so gut wrenching that that is where the mindset of where it originally comes from of, of in case something were to happen. And I think that it just speaks, I mean, I could cry. It just, because it just speaks to where we are in the world and, and how important someone like you, what you really are is because you are giving such a voice to um, the voiceless who are out there or men of, of, you know, whatever color, let's just say like men in general are so scared to talk about their mental health. You know, and I can't speak to to the black community. I don't know. I have friends. I have family. I try to learn all I can, but I don't I've never been in those shoes. And I certainly have never been in a man's shoes where, you know, you can't show any emotions because uh, you'll be weak, you know, and you won't have balls. You won't be you won't be a man, you know. Um, and I think that that's that's so important what you're doing and to continue doing that. And have you noticed, have a lot of men reached out to you on opening up their mental health or a lot of fathers opened up to you? I I think what I've been seeing more of, and 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 I've been asked this question before and it's hard because to a certain extent I have, um, but less about, it's been a lot of it happening indirectly. I think, and mm. I by no means can take credit for for that. Like when I think of individuals such as uh, Jason Rosario, um, Jeff Johnson, there there are black men in the community who have been doing very extensive work on um, dismantling patriarchy, talking talking about and talking through the issues that trouble um, trouble the community community of men. Um, for me, what I've been seeing though is a, an awakening of sorts, for sure. Like seeing more men's groups, seeing more fathers groups out there. Um, you know, like when I when I got to do my TED talk um, on co-parenting, part of part, part the opportunity I appreciated was a a it was at the TED Women's Conference. Um, oh wow! And, yeah, and and then I was the only man who was speaking, um, and so part of that for me was seeing this as an opportunity to let let a room full of very empowered, inspiring women know that they are not alone on the front lines of the work that needs to be done in order to dismantle the, 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 the systems that, again, continue to oppress marginalized peoples. Um, and, and, and the system of patriarchy being one of those, like the attitudes surrounding gender roles and how men are supposed to show up and how women are supposed to show up, whatever, what have you. I, I, I think 
the work that I've been doing, I think falls directly in line with the work that I've already seen happening that's continued to happen now, I think on a larger mm -hmm. scale. There's a lot, a lot of work to do, but it's been very empowering to see how more, I'm seeing more men lean into spaces, even if it's, even if it's one toe in, um, mm. just seeing men being a part of the conversation and wanting to explore the conversation um, is important. And it, it's, it's, been, it's been really beautiful to see, if I'm being honest. Is there any possible way that you could bless us doing a little spoken word? <laughs> Why wouldn't you tell me this? Let me see something. I didn't know until just now. I was just like, wait a second. Why didn't I think of this before? No pressure whatsoever. But if you had even just a little bit, I just think it's like so beautiful and that people obviously will have links to like Google and see all of it. But it's just so beautiful. I, I, I do. Nadia Weber, um, sarcastic Lutheran on um, IG. She invited me to her IG live. I'm looking for a poem that I performed um, um, she invited me on in her IG live uh, to uh, talk about the election and really just give words of encouragement to um, folks who are dealing with and struggling with the real inherent fear of where you are going as a country. Um, mm -hmm. And so I wrote something for that uh, that I I can read. Um, for yes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> This, this is this is not I'm like that. a kid in the candy store. I'm like, you tell me more. <laughs> um, but but I, I will say this was inspired by something I tweeted um, the day of actually um, of the election, which is uh, there's nothing quiet about a revolution. Nothing is quiet about a riot. Nothing quite as loud as the volume of the bomb sites where the next apocalypse lands, lips of lambs taking in the forsaken times, the forgotten tithes kept the types to be plotting the next revolt, our evolution revolving by default once more, a disguise, a mask we put on at the dinner table. We are the loud for the voiceless voices compressed into chokeholds, boxed in with whitewashed choices. Again, we vote in case the last case of COVID was trapped in a ballot box map like the last seeds of that glorious past of ours. For hours we packed pepper spray sandwiches, saran wrapped, held bail money for at length jailhouse stays, all of us praying we will not wilt, will not pay for a funeral today. Perhaps tomorrow will be better. There's nothing quiet about a revolution, about the emancipation from struggle, about the crumbling debris of a nation, about the deafening hum of the fates we juggle with eyes closed, scales tipped, Piscean sails ripped from the waters, Poseidon skipped by on the skins our forefathers used to make slaves die on. We have slave plays now. We have doomsday. We have love, libertarians with loose Loose strings for marbles, Republicans with promise rings, everyone fucking themselves, wasting away to the joyful crash oblivion brings us. There is no silence in upheaval, in the freeing of an unequal people praying in still waters, poster childs posing with candid smiles in pictures worth a thousand miles of summer bridge walks of beaten bones, firebombed homes, Hoses and hydrants held fortified in eyelids. We are the victory flinging itself into the seas of tomorrow, a future 
for an army to spare our tongues, the weapons to borrow for a night or for an encore of forever, drowning in sorrow, we are the seeds of begotten dreams. We are the crackling of change, burning down the regime, the history bearing repetition in. We are the sound of a generation. We are no longer quiet anymore. Well, you got me crying over here. <laughs> that was just beautiful. You had me crying at the kindred thing. You got me crying at this. Like you just, I can't even, I can't be in a room with you. Um, oh my God, that was so beautiful. I can't thank you for, for letting us just, just hear this right now. I think that it's so important. I know that my grandpa's looking above and just loving this. He loves spoken word. That's awesome. He was so awesome. involved. Um, just as much as he could from from an outside with the whole Martin Luther King Jr. you know moment that we went through and this is just such a the the synchronicity that's involved in this part of our our lifetime right now is something that none of us ever thought we would see but sure. the one beautiful thing that is coming from all of this this sadness and this heartbreak is art has never been more beautiful absolutely and and what I and there was an essay I written poetry will save the world. And a lot of that was inspired by this book, Freedom Dreams by Dr. Robin D.G. Kelly. Um, shout out to my friend, Dr. Shamel Bell, who, who recommended the book to me. Um, but really what, 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 what Dr. Kelly was talking about was the use of the imagination and the use of poetry as a means to achieve liberation and thinking of social justice movements as a poem um, and treating them as a poet with a poem. And so there's an openness to poetry. There's an openness to art that I think can galvanize individuals to do the work. Um, I think the art is a part of the work. And I spend a lot of time not necessarily being sure if it was because art can sometimes feel not as active as protesting or chaining yourself to a Senate building or whatever the case might be. But I think for me, what I've begun, what I've begun to see is that art can also give people the language that they need in order to organize in order to protest, march, picket, you know, um, whatever the case might be. Um, so yeah, it's, we're in a very magical time, I think, of art um, and, and, and the opportunities that lie for us to use our voices in a real way to be catalysts and change. And so I, when I wrote that piece, it, it was me trying to kind of find the middle ground between the fear, the very inherent fear of what we are facing on election night, alongside the potential hope for what would be to come um, and trying to mesh those worlds together in, in a way that um, would kind of help bring some, some level of understanding for the moment. You know, which is, I think is what art is supposed to do. It's absolutely what it's supposed to do. And and the more that we get to just like talk about things, and the yeah. more we get to express, I think that that's the kind of only thing that we can do is use our voice and write stuff down and record things like this and yeah. just be able to communicate because, you know, you don't, people think we're all so stubborn, right? You can't change this side. You can't change that side. But, you know, I never thought that I would ever be speaking about mental health the way I would, but it took certain people to 
make it seem like it was okay and that I should speak about it for others who aren't ready yet. And then when they're ready, they're going to help another person. And so I think that that's what's so important with, with art in general, whether it be creative writing or on TV or whatever, I think that it's important. You know, I, I think that it's a release and it keeps the, um, keeps your mind going. So yeah. I'm going to ask you my final question, Joel Leon. <laughs> I want to, I want it to be like very French. Um, that was super French. It's perfect. It perfect. Good, good. And that's what I was going for today. <laughs> what is your emotional support? I mean, for all intents and purposes, my art, you know, I, I think um, my art has gotten me some, has gotten me through some very dark times, hard times, being able to share my art is very much a, a spiritual practice for me. Um, being on stage, performing, sharing my language, sharing my people's um, language, my community's language, like and seeing myself as a uh, purveyor of, of, of um, truth through art has been, um, has been life-saving and life-altering. And so for me, I, I don't, like there is no separation from myself and my art. I am my art. Um, and I, when I think about the emotional support, it's, it's carried me through many a times, many, many a troubled water. So I think my art would be that for sure. What a great answer. (laughs) (laughs) What more could we ask for? It's his art. Of course it is because it's fucking epic. So like, what are we going to say? Like, it's awesome. Well, I, I really appreciate you doing this show so much. And I hope that we can all learn even just one, one thousandth of the beauty that you are giving to this world. And I continue to learn the language as well and as properly as I can so I can speak your language and continue on just this joyous journey that you're on. Well, well I think, well, you know, I think what's so important is, is again, the space that you've created for me, but that you continue to create in general, because I think part of what comes with spreading light and spreading love is that and then bubbles, when we talk about the bubbles, we all have a very unique set of bubbles. I think we tend to think of bubbles as, a, as generally using a negative, in a, in a negative way, but I do think we all kind of have our communities. And so the more we get to expand those communities, the more we get to share different totally. conversations from different communities where we essentially become more of, we become a safer community, a more inclusive community and a healthier community the more we get to expand that. And so I appreciate you and I appreciate having this space with you tonight for sure. This has been great. From New York to LA. Exactly. Bam. (laughs) Bring it across. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.